Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In the Spirit of Horse. My name is Mosey Truitt, and I am really excited for this new thing I'm doing with the podcast. Um, Okay, so I'll just start from the beginning. I was driving a couple of days ago, or about a week ago, or maybe more. I don't know. I was driving, and I was thinking about the ways that horses have been broken. And it's been a theme in my life recently with the horses to really ask how we can rewild them, how we can undo the breaking and return to the wild. And along with that question has paralleled right aside it, right beside it, um, the question, how do I rewild myself? Because I really feel that in order to give that to the horse, we have to tap into it in ourselves as well. And it's part of the lesson of the horse is, you know, getting back to these, um, to these important things and, and internalizing them too, because like with judgment or compassion, I feel like if you don't have it for yourself, it's very hard to give to others. So I've been on a bit of a journey of what it means to rewild me and what it means to rewild the other humans in my life um, for ourselves and as a way of connecting deeper and being able to give that to the horses as well. So I was thinking about that on my drive and I was thinking about some of the people that um, I follow or that I am interested in their work or really inspired by that make me feel more wild and connect me to that inherent uh, place of self-worth because I really do believe that our wilderness, our wild, comes from a place of being worthy and worthy of love. So I realized a lot of the people I wanted to talk to were not necessarily horsey people at all and the conversations I wanted to have I knew were going to be so valuable but they weren't going to be necessarily horse themed. And I was like, but that's, you know, that's okay. And I thought about how badly I wanted that on the podcast. I was like, if I get to talk to this person, I want it on a podcast episode because I'm going to want to share what they have to say so much. And then the idea came to me that here I am working on how do we unbreak the horse, you know, and I think it's so directly linked to unbreaking ourselves why don't I do a series about unbreaking the human and what it means for us to rewild ourselves? And this really lit me up inside. I got so, so excited about it. So whenever I get a burst of passion for that, I feel like I have to, or not that I have to, but it feels like I should move on it. Like that is a sign that there's something there that I want to explore. So that is what I'm doing Within this In the Spirit of Horse podcast, I am going to be starting a mini-series of unbreaking the human or rewilding the human. I haven't picked the name yet, but um, that's the sentiment. And it's not going to be a separate podcast and it's not going to be the only episodes that come out, but I'm going to start posting episodes that are under this kind of um, mini-arc within the podcast that are all about unbreaking and rewilding ourselves and getting in touch with who we really are and freeing ourselves so that we can be 
the freest, wildest version, most loving version of ourselves for our horses. And I think in turn, have an easier time giving that to them as well. So I say all of this because this podcast episode, I am so freaking excited for, but it's not going to have to do with horses. However, I definitely still think you should listen because I think it is a lesson of the horse. And I think that it will deeply benefit your relationship with the horse, even if we're not talking directly training. That has been my experience. And um, yeah, in some ways, I feel like this is turning it back around. I'm talking to these amazing guests, but it's really about listening to the lessons the horses have taught me. And that's what this little series is more about. And I really think those are kind of the most valuable parts. You know, we can talk training and I love, I love doing that. And, um, and horsemanship is absolutely wonderful, but the lessons the horses have to teach us, I don't think anything really compares. So that being said, welcome to the first episode of unbreaking slash rewilding the human. So first, let me get into the topics I think that have to do with unbreaking the human. I think there's a lot, (laughs) but some of the first ones that came to me because this guest came to me, like I really wanted to talk to her, um, have to do with beauty and body image and a little more focused on how women are controlled by this idea of what they should look like and being small and focusing on um, striving for this idea of perfection that ultimately just keeps us from doing our or living a really full life and doing our greatest work. And if you've listened to my podcast with Lily Misher, we kind of started talking about embodiment and disembodiment as a way of kind of breaking and controlling. And I think that that has a lot to do with, um, with this whole topic. So I really want to dive into embodiment and how do we go from a place of being the object in the way horses have been objectified and the way women have been objectified and a lot of different people have been, how do we move from that place to being the subject of our life and being embodied? And that is what I'm so excited to talk to Jess about today. Um, Jess from Holy Healed, she is the guest. (laughs) She is the guest today. Her work and her Instagram, I found her through Instagram and then found her website and all of her articles. It has just liberated me in a whole new way and kind of tapped into things that I thought maybe I had fully dealt with, but um, I needed to definitely dive in more and um, look deeper at it. And what I love is that she really gets to the core of the issue here because it's not about you know, how we look and it's not about weight and it's not about all these things that, you know, are part of the beauty myth that keep us controlled. It's really about how we're allowed to show up in the world as humans and how we're allowed to, um, be free and live a full life. So I'm not going to go into it too much more because I'm really excited to record this episode with her. And I think you should just, I think you should just listen to her because I'm so excited to talk to her. So yeah, that is, that is my, uh, that's my plan. 
and I'm really excited for this series and I hope you guys are too. Uh, it's about time to talk to Jess, so I'm going to go do that and you're about to hear it. I'll see you guys on the other end. idea how excited I am to talk to you. <laughs> I'm doing great. <laughs> oh, I'm so honored. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and so, you know, I have started the recording just because I like to kind of have it be natural, but I can take out anything awesome. uh, you don't want. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I feel a little bit like fangirly around you because I am like so excited. Um, you're the first like not super horse focused guest I have on this podcast. And, um, and I kind of emailed you and explained a little bit, uh, about why I wanted to have you on, but I, uh, want to kind of explain for the listeners, but, um, first, uh, do you want to say a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. So, um, my name is Jess. Uh, Jess Rothley, and I am a certified eating psychology coach who specializes in functional endocrinology. So I basically help women come home to their bodies. I help them uh, recover from a lot of the disordered eating, diet culture, chronic dieting cycle that they get on. I help them um, connect to their intuition. I help them um, balance their hormones. It's kind of a multifaceted job that I have, but essentially at its root, I help women come home to their bodies. And it's really cool. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, ah, I love that. I, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just like, so love your message and love everything that you're doing. And, um, so the reason why I wanted to bring you on is because I really think that, uh, you know, this is a horse podcast and, um, I like to focus on more so though, the lessons of the horse and like what the horse has to teach us rather than just, um, how we treat the horse. Mm -hmm. And I think that women and horses have gone through very similar things, um, kind of when it comes to having been used for their bodies and, you know, we say that horses are broken. Like that's a very common training term that we break a horse and it's very accurate, um, in training and traditional training that you're actually breaking the spirit of the horse, usually by disembodying them and they become kind of like a shell of themselves. And then from there, they're easier to control. So God, that gave me goosebumps hearing you (laughs) because The correlations to women is, I mean, it's spot on. That's exactly what happens. We as women were born, I mean, you see any young, young, young girl and her spirit is so alive. She is comfortable in her body. She lives intuitively. And as she grows up in today's society, like everywhere she looks, she's being broken so that she's more malleable, so that she's more controllable. So fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, I so feel that. And, um, and I think that it's interesting and not a, not really a coincidence that a lot of women are drawn to horses. And I think right now you kind of have a big movement of men have kind of 
um, led some of the way for like the top trainers, but women are really the ones that now especially are kind of stepping up. And I think the old idea of it used to be like, you feel disempowered. So I will teach you to take your power from the horse. Um, yeah, it's, it's odd. And I don't think that ever is fulfilling because you're not actually re-empowering yourself. And I think the new wave of horsemanship coming in is saying, I've been disempowered and you have been disempowered and I'm going to empower both of us and then we'll heal together. Mm. Yeah, that's insanely powerful, especially the difference between male trainers and female trainers, because if you look historically at gender relations, that's, that's how it's been with women. You know, a lot of times, I mean, in a culture that really runs on sexual assault and rape, you know, men gaining power from women and taking, um, it's not surprising that it's correlated into male trainers and female trainers with horses. I've never thought about that, but when you say it, just like my mind is blown. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a good reflection. Um, so basically I guess I would love to get into how you started this and how you kind of like woke up to the, this idea. Um, and got and started your journey of getting re-embodied yourself? Yeah, so I, well, I, like so many women, I grew up really identifying myself as a body. Like, my worth and my identity came from what my body looked like, how my body um, visually was pleasurable to other people, being good enough, you know, that was where my validation came from. And, and that spiraled, like so many women, into wanting to manipulate and control my body to get control of every other aspect of my life. Because if my body was good enough, then I was good enough and I would be happy and all the pain would go away. So I developed an eating disorder when I was in high school and it went on, you know, to my early college days. And in that recovery process, you know, it's one thing and your listeners probably aren't or may not be aware of this, but it's one thing to be recovered from an eating disorder and and have what they call, you know, like your weight restored, but it's a complete other thing to become embodied. It's completely different to then become friends with the body that was your enemy for so long and your source of pain, but actually begin to trust it and actually begin to lean back into it. Um, there were so many things that I, there were so many facets of it that I didn't even realize were suffering, like my sex life with my husband, like my ability to feel my body, you know, every day. I realized that I literally didn't feel in my body emotionally or physically during most of my recovery process. Um, and it started it started when I actually started processing my emotions and like started feeling things. So I started allowing myself to cry or grieve or mourn that I felt my body, like what felt like for the first time in my entire life. And then it translated to everything else, my ability to eat intuitively, my ability to enjoy sex with my husband, my ability to, you know, move in a way that felt good in my body. It was just so interconnected. And so I I don't know if there was like, a time where, oh, this is, you know, I wasn't embodied and now I'm embodied. To be quite frank, Mosey, like I'm still discovering ways that I have blocked and numbed from my body. Um, and it's like bringing up blocks of trauma or bringing, or bringing up certain areas of my body that um, feel very stuck or paralyzed and, and, and then leaning into that and like uncovering all of this emotion, you know, because um, science shows that your cells actually, they, they store trauma. So 
your body holds emotions and when you don't feel them, they become stuck in the body and then they, the muscles like basically stigmatize and paralyze, um, which is very, very common in women who have experienced such negative body image or they've experienced such disembodiment and they've, they've experienced such hardship with their bodies where they actually like they can't feel in their body that much and they can't, they can't connect to it as well. Um, so I'm still discovering areas of, of that embodiment journey that are new to me and, and, um, discovering it. So I'm still in it and I think I'll be in it for the rest of my life. But for the first time in my life, I think I'm aware of what I'm missing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and wanting to uncover it. Yeah. I'm like, i I am so inspired by that because I think I kind of like cosmically kind of found your account and it was right at a time where I, I also have had like poor body image, especially growing up as a teenager. And I kind of felt like I had, um, healed a lot from that and that it wasn't on my mind anymore. And then in the past few months, it's been triggered up again and it was kind of like, why is this coming up? Like, I thought I dealt with this, you know, and in this very like segregated, like piece of my life. And, um, I found your account and found your work and immediately was so drawn to it right at the time where I was starting to think about embodiment a lot more and what it meant to actually feel into places that I I knew I had blocked off and I was only just starting to realize that I had blocked them off and that I was disconnected from a big chunk of my experience as a human. Mm. Yeah. And, and a big thing that came up was like feeling emotions and having not um, given myself as much room for that as I think I thought I had. Mm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people, I resonate with that like more than I can express because a lot of people, when we say things like embodiment, when we say things like being in your body, people tend to picture like yoga or like deep breathing or like meditation. And all of those things can be tools to help you become embodied. But feeling emotions and being in your body, they go hand in hand because your body stores emotions. And so a lot of times what's stopping you from being embodied is not that you're not meditating enough or that you're not doing enough yoga. It's actually that you're not feeling the depths of the emotions that are presented to you all the time. Uh, We have been kind of trained so often to like let things pass by. So I feel something, oh, I suppress it. Or I have all these memories from childhood or I have all of these things, you know, as a woman with my body that are so painful that so many of us just normalize it and refuse to feel the weight of it. And then we start experimenting with, okay, well, I want to be embodied. So let me do deep breathing and let me do yoga. And then all of a sudden all this pain and emotion comes up and they're like, what, like, what the hell, where, where's this coming from? And it's because feeling your emotions and feeling your body is one and the same. And I wish that we would kind of express that a little bit more because one of the best ways I became embodied was actually going to therapy and starting to process emotions. And then it was all, it was like all of a sudden I could feel my body again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I do. I think it's funny. I just did a podcast episode because I've been thinking about this a lot and I, um, I went to this wild horse, like roundup, like a bunch of horses are being, um, 
taken off their land and it's just very it's so emotional and and it's very tragic in some ways and I remember coming back in the car and my friend made a joke about like am I going to am I ready to feel my emotions on this or am I going to like uh, go into the gas station and like we're gonna like and like numb a little bit you know and I really had a thought I was like yeah you know I I'm understanding where I could easily push this feeling down more than um, more than I had understood that before because I I knew about numbing and about you know suppressing emotions but it was like in this moment it clicked for me that I could be in the car and maybe just feel it all and let it hit me mm-hmm. in a way where I wasn't going to distract myself with like whether that was like getting a snack from the gas station or if it was like listening to a podcast and let it in. And I I recorded this other episode with a friend of mine the day after where I was like, I wasn't sure how to even feel. I was like, how do you feel this? Mm -hmm. And I ended up just like lying on my bed and that felt really good, like to just basically lie there and mope. But I had that thought that I thought was kind of funny that I was really like, how do I even feel it like how do you feel (laughs) right exactly and because it's so foreign and um I think the first step is is not going from numbing to all of a sudden feeling it's going from numbing to realizing that you are numbing because when you are someone who suppresses and numbs for so long you don't actually even know that you're doing it it's second nature to you and so it takes intention to then like what you did, you, you, you looked at what was happening. You said, Oh, I could very well see how I could slip into numbing patterns or I could slip into disembodiment. And I'm going to choose to be aware of that because even in the awareness you are embodied. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Cause it can take so many forms too. Like I realized just like looking at Instagram is such a good way to just disconnect. You know? Oh, yeah. uh-huh. or if you, if you don't, a great way to know if you're, if you struggle with this is I used to be someone who I hated silence. So I grew up in a home. I was one of four kids and I'm half Italian, half Arabic. So it's very loud. And there was always things going on. It was like, I shared a room with my little sister. There was always noise and stimulation. And, and I remember thinking at when I was younger that I loved the silence and I loved to be alone, but in reality, I never really had it. And it wasn't until I grew up that I realized I hated being alone. Like it literally was, was, terrifying to me when I moved into my own apartment for the first time and I didn't have roommates and I would need to have the radio on or podcast on or TV or everything all at once just so I could not feel so alone with myself because I had no idea what was going to come up. It was like this in, this intuitive, and at the time I wasn't even realizing that I was numbing, but it was like this intuitive, I don't want to be alone because I felt like I was on the verge of crying or like something was going to come up. And if that's you, so many people struggle with this. Distraction is the antithesis of being embodied. And it's something that in today's society is so easy to do, but it is the easiest way to numb without even realizing that you're numbing. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I've personally been like trying to, in a very loving way with myself, like look at that a lot more this entire year. And another thing I really like about your work is like you said, the awareness comes first because it's not the perfection of, um, 
okay, I'm realizing I'm numbing and now I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be embodied because I feel that that perfection mindset, which I think also comes through, like you say, with the diet mindset of, Mm. okay, now I'm going to be on the wagon and I'm going to not numb. Like I could feel that kind of urge come up if I wasn't aware of it that like, okay, now I'm going to be perfectly embodied and I'm going to feel everything and I'm going to do great at it, you know, and that's where I'm going to find my worth. Right. Exactly. It's not another thing to accomplish and it's not another way to hustle for your worthiness at all. And as women, I think that that's just such our go-to. And I also want to say that, you know, when we talk about embodiment for women, it's, it's really different because so many women hold so many, so many like wounds and hardship with their body that really getting to know their body, being in their body is so foreign because when we grow up, if you're in your body, you are going to be hurt all the time because it is constantly being told it's not good enough. You are constantly being told you have to change it. You are constantly being told your spirit's being broken all the time. And so disembodiment is not a terrible thing because growing up, it really was a survival mechanism. It was smart. Um, and it was how it was how a lot of us women got through um, the messaging that we received. And it, it's just a fact. And that's why it's so pervasive. That's really why it's so pervasive through so much through so many women and why coming back to your body, you uncover so many wounds, hurts, emotions. Um, and it's very scary for a lot of women, but one of the best things to do is is to continue to lean into it and prove to yourself that those emotions are not going to break you. Often they're going to set you free. Um, but we have so much fear around it. There's so much pain there, like instinctively, you know, and again, a lot of this doesn't even happen, happen consciously in someone's mind, but the, what's the word, the resistance to leaning in the resistance to being alone with yourself, the resistance to sitting in your body is evident of that fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I just kind of got hit with more insight too on how that just feels so similar to what horses go through. Like, I just feel like the parallels are insane with the, it being like a smart move for a horse that's being broken to check out, you know, it, it saves them in a lot of ways and trying to convince a horse that it's safe to come back to their body is, it's kind of what I do. And, and I'm, and I feel like it's what you do with humans. And how do we, if we're still living in a world then that is filled with these messages that want to hurt you, how do we know that it's safe to re- be re-embodied, you know? If, is it because when we're kids, we just don't have the tools to like kind of stay or to, I don't know what the word is, but to not believe it? when we're hearing these messages and we're, you know, needing to protect ourselves or how do we know? So that's a tricky question. Um, I think the main difference, and this is why when we become adults, you know, and I work with adults as kids, it's protective because we don't have agency. We aren't our own master. We are, we're children. We are hardwired to lean on adults for better understanding, for protection, um, for love, for validation, for all of these things. That's the way we are. But then what happens is those children grow up to adults who still act and believe that they are children. 
at the mercy of other people. Um, and so as women, one of the, one as grown adult women, and this is what I talk about all the time when I, when I say things like, look, you're an adult woman, like you are a woman. It's not necessarily just this empty, like, yo, you're a woman. It's this reminder that you are not, you are no longer a child. And though we all have childhood wounds that we carry into adulthood, adulthood, like you are no longer a slave to those. And the biggest thing to, to grasp onto is your agency. And, and when we're talking, like when you are making comparison to horses, it's like, they are stronger. They're stronger than humans and they're majestic and they're large and they have all of this power. And when you break them, it's almost like they no longer believe it anymore. Like they no longer exercise that. And that's, what's happening with women is there are so many women in the chains of society of these lies that we've had since you know growing up in childhood and it's like you look at them from the outside and they're chains that now we're holding to ourselves and we don't need to be you know like we have the power to break free from them and we are so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for but we don't realize our agency we still think that we are chained we still think that we are imprisoned and so the number one thing has to be realizing that like you do not have to answer to anyone anymore. You do not have to hustle for your worthiness. You are not dependent on the validation of others for protection and for love. And when you ask the question, you know, how do you know that? Number one, you have to start proving it to yourself. Like you have to start acting as someone who doesn't have to answer to other people. And on a base on a very simple, very simplistic way, you basically have to stop giving so many other people power over your life. And that looks like on the ground, taking up space, making boundaries, um, not giving into what other people tell you to eat, what other people tell you you should or should not weigh, what other people tell you you should or should not wear. You know, these are things that freedom, that agency, these are decisions we encounter every single day. I'll give you an example. I've had, you know, when I go to the gym, I will have my workout clothes and I've had those thoughts of, oh, should I wear this? Is this, is this asking for, oh, you know, like in a mm -hmm. split second, all of a sudden I'm like bombarded with other people's opinions in like just me choosing what I should wear to the gym, you know, and, mm -hmm. and on bigger scales, it's like, what are people going to think when I make this career choice? What are people going to think if I speak my mind? What are people going to think if I'm, if I'm doing this or that? It's like, oh, women are statistically way higher on the people pleasing marker than men like mm -hmm. this is fact and and this this comes from years and years of having our spirit broken and now carrying these chains with us for the rest of our life when in reality all it takes is to shed them off and i know that sounds easy it's not easy but it is simple does that make sense like it's yeah. not you but at its root it is simple it is not allowing other people to have authority over your life anymore yeah yeah, I mm, I love all of that. The the hustling for our worthiness and and kind of putting our worthiness in the hands of other people. That I just feel like that is like a human condition that everyone can relate to. Um, mm. Yeah, and taking and I think you know because it it feels very linked to are we worthy of love. And we see love, I think, a lot of times is coming from the outside and being something we almost win if we're in this mindset. Um, totally. And that we have to, like, earn. And 
I'm curious for you if coming back to worthiness and coming back to knowing that you're inherently lovable, if, if that is something that you mainly found in yourself, or is it something that when you found it in yourself, you felt validated through people loving you for who you were, or is it more just a real knowing from you? Hmm. So I hope this answers your question, but this is, this is what comes to my mind. You know, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't allow other people to know me because I didn't really know me. And when I started my journey of, you know, people call it self-discovery, you can call it emotional processing, you can call it, I call it therapy. I mean, you could call it anything, you know, basically really getting to know yourself and accepting yourself all of a sudden, that was when I started the, the Instagram and that, that was when I actually started seeing my now husband. It was like people who knew me before were super shocked because I was kind of a different person. I, I got to know myself. I got to be honest with myself. I got to feel and process and, and really begin to uncover all these layers of suppression that I had been carrying for so long under the weight of other people's expectations and, and being what I thought I should be. I was like a world-class overachiever, people pleaser. And my personality, it was like, I came to the point in my life where I literally didn't know if who I was, was just because I was trying to be what other people wanted me to be or who I was, was who I was, you know, what I liked, what I didn't like, what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do. And in my process of getting to know myself and, and, and picking that apart, I allowed other people to know me. And so then when they saw me and they loved me, it was so freeing. You know, because we've all, I don't know if you resonate with this, but before when people would love me or when people would give me validation, it was, it was meaningless because I knew that they just liked what I was giving them. They mm -hmm. just liked the person I was trying to be, to be, does that make sense? Like yeah. I, even in high school when I would, when I would date or, what, or when I had friends, I just always felt like you don't know me. You don't know me. And therefore, when you say you care about me or you love me or you think I'm this or that, like I don't believe you. I don't believe you. And so knowing myself and, 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 and shortening the gap between who I am and what I show people so that they're actually the same person was the most freeing thing for me in my relationships with other people and my ability to receive that validation and love. Because when my husband then saw me, I knew that he saw me and I knew that he loved me. He didn't love the person I was pretending to be. And, and I, there was no insecurity or question about that. And then when people didn't, when people rejected me, it was definitely painful because then, you know, they're rejecting me. But also at the same time, what's most important is that I know me and this is who I am now and I've accepted that. So it really, you can't be everyone's cup of tea. You know, you can't be everyone's everything. And, and I just think that this is like a very rambly answer to your question. No, but, it's wonderful. <laughs> but, but I like knowing myself and, and you know, people throw out the words authentic and standing in your truth, but, but it's true, you know, really being honest, being honest and transparent was the best thing I did, not just for accepting myself, but also in my, how I related to other people and, and the love that I have with other people, my husband, my friends, my family, it's like, 
that's just to now to me going back to thinking about how I used to suffocate myself to put on fronts so that I could be everyone's everything. It just sounds exhausting and, and so painful because it was, it was. Yeah. I, I love that answer. I think, um, the honest thing really, really resonates with me too, because this past year I've like dedicated to honesty in a whole new way and not in, you know, not that I was, I felt like a dishonest person before, but this kind of idea of radical honesty that if I don't want to do something, I'm not going to make an an excuse for why I don't want to do it. I'm just going to tell them I don't want to do it and not in a harsh way, but just, you know, completely accepting that what my truth is or how I'm feeling is okay to feel. And I don't need to lie about that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, And the reason why that's so powerful and the reason why everyone talks about that, you know, being honest, standing your truth is because in the act of being honest, you symbolically show yourself that there is no reason to be anything other than what you are. Mm-hmm. And it, it's in that process, slowly, when you take small instances of speaking your truth and taking up more and more space, where all of a sudden you look back and it's like your body's like, thank you. Like, thank you. Because you have now, you've proven to yourself what you had been trying to get from other people, which is that you are worth it. You are worthy, you are valuable, and, and you are good enough as you are. You've given that to yourself in being honest. Yeah, I really, really resonate with that. And hmm, I I had a question I wanted to ask you next, and I'm trying to remember what it was because um, I'm just like soaking it in because um, it feels so healing just to hear these things and um, and to have like almost a sense of permission that you're allowed to uh, – oh, this I think this is what I was going to say – that on like a – of taking up space in a, um, kind of like verbal level, um, and feeling like you can speak what's on your mind and not just be nice and rather Mm -hmm. than be nice, be real. Um, you know, I've thought about that a lot. And I think that because I've been working towards that, um, it's bringing up a lot of the body issues because Mm -hmm. it feels I can, I can do that on like this, uh, this kind of, I'm not thinking of the right word, but like mental level or verbal level, but it's like bringing up this embodiment of where have the places where I've just tried to be nice or I've tried to fit into something that I'm supposed to be rather than letting my body have that freedom too, to be real rather than nice in that sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and this is why one of my favorite phrases when it, when I talk to clients or when I'm talking on my Instagram is this idea of taking up space with your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so often when it comes to our body, I mean, if you think right now, every woman is chasing after being small, like we're chasing after one body ideal. We're chasing after all being the same. We're chasing after being small, having, being big and taking up space is demonized because mm-hmm. You know, how, how dare we as women think that we have the permission to take up space in this world with our body. The way, and it's, it's mirrored in mentally and verbally. So exactly what you're talking about is exactly what our body goes through. And, and I realize this, not only does it have to do with weight, women's ter- you know, fear of gaining weight, women's fear of letting 
their body occupy the space that it wants. You know, fear of dressing in a certain way, fear of um, allowing their body to just be. It's like we never had the permission to do that growing up with our bodies. Our bodies immediately had no permission but to be what other people wanted it to be. And because as women, we are raised thinking that we are a body, so often, you know, our identity is so attached to our body, then it translates to every other aspect of our life. Then you have women who are not speaking their truth. They're not speaking up, afraid to take up space intellectually, emotionally, um, everything. It, it's affecting their entire life. As women, we grow up really identifying that our body is us. Like we are a body. You know, as, as, as young girls, we're kind of taught that the most important thing about us is how we look. And so our body becomes us. And so if in our body we are told constantly that we are not allowed to take up space. We are supposed to be thin and we are supposed to be quote unquote, you know, Western standards, beautiful. And we're supposed to be this and that immediately there is no freedom. There is no intuition. There is no taking up space. And then it kind of colors every other aspect of our life because our body is not allowed to take up space. And we identify so much with our body. We are, we don't take up space intellectually. We don't take up space emotionally. We don't take up space in boundaries. We don't take up space as a person. Um, and I find this to be so interesting because when I work with women, um, like becoming weight restored or, or letting their body kind of fluctuate and, and get into a, a weight that is comfortable for their body and natural for their body, you don't just see the effects in the body. You see the effects in their life. You see them begin to relax into their life, begin to speak up, begin to take up space you know, in their relationships, asking for what they want in the bedroom. Like it literally has outstanding effects everywhere, um, which is why embodiment is so important is because it's not just us and our body. We are integrative beings. And when our body's experiencing um, suffocation and uh, essentially you know, a broken spirit, so will everything else in our life. Yeah, um, that that feels so right. Um the, the idea of like constantly change, chasing, I think I kind of had that realization. Um, I had it quite a few months back and it was kind of like the first um, kind of like an aha moment I had when all this stuff was coming back up for me. And it was the idea that if I stay in this mindset, I, I'll never stop chasing. Like there, it'll never be a place where I'm allowed to just be because you know, we know the idea, I think, of we're never good enough, like that the that the media is kind of like putting out this projection on women that you're you're always going to be chasing like the new standard of beauty or it's this standard of beauty that's just not attainable. But coming to really realize that and like feel that in my body, it felt like the first time of like embodying the knowledge that, oh man, like if I if I don't like break out of the idea that I have to somehow control my body for it to be okay and that I have to micromanage it, that I'm never going to be free from that. And I'm never going to be able to just settle and be in myself. Absolutely. And I mean, talk about correlations between women and horses. That's like spot on. I mean, this idea of I have to control, manage, train, like I can't stop watching it. I can't stop exerting my control over it. And it's such a, it's such a panicked way of living. It's, it's living in fear 
and it's living in panic. It's living it, it, and it's also living. Most importantly, it's living in distrust of your body. And and I've had a post about this before, but you know, the body is smarter and more amazing than we could ever possibly hope to understand. And it regulates itself so incredibly well. And it's only lies from an industry right now, you know, the beauty industry that that profits off of our discontentment that tells us that we can't trust it, that tells us that we can't trust it to settle on its natural way, to tell us when it's hungry and to tell us when it's full, to tell us what it needs. It's only that reason that we've developed this distrust and that idea that we could possibly know better for our body than our actual body. I mean, when you think about it logically, is it's almost comical, but that's how we've all been functioning. Yes. Oh my God. I, I, I had two posts of yours that I really wanted to bring up and that was one of them. And firstly, with the horses, I think you're so spot on because um, it, everything in horse training or a lot of horse training is really about like micromanaging of their body. And the horse lives in a lot of times a constant state of, okay, what are they going to do next? What do I have to, how do I have to fit into this next? And it is like a panicked, um, c- constantly in a little bit of fear, if not a little bit, a lot of fear of, how am I going to like pay for this basically? Or how am I going to be punished if I don't manipulate perfectly into what they're asking with my body? And it leads to a huge disconnect. Um, but also getting back to your posts, I really wanted to talk about that of not feeling like we can trust our body because I have totally, when I read that post, I completely resonated to the idea that there's this, really deep underlying belief that if I don't somehow watch my body, it's going to go crazy and I'm going to, I don't know what the fear is. Like, I guess just, I think you wrote like letting yourself go like that. It's not going to be, um, manageable or it's going to like do, I guess it almost feels like it's going to betray me. Totally. You know, Exactly. And, and well, and here's the interesting thing and the reason why betray is such an interesting word to use because so often we think our body does betray us because our intent and our body's goal are often at odds. And so we've kind of developed this relationship with our body that our body is the enemy. Our body is what causes us pain. It's the source of ridicule. It's If we grow up thinking that we need to thin and we need to force our body into a state that it's not naturally supposed to be in for so many of us women trying to chase unrealistic standards for what a body should look like. Of course, we're going to think our body's the problem because we genuinely believe that we should look like that. And we blame our body. We say, you know, body, why aren't you losing weight? Body, why aren't you naturally thin? Body, why do you have cellulite? Why do you have stretch marks? And and we kind of, we get into this like deception and lie that our body is what's broken because it doesn't look like that, because it doesn't act like that. And so we think all we grow up, then it's like us versus our body. We get mad at our body, even, even in, cause I work with hormones, even in basic things like your period, we groan and we, Oh, oh my God, like I hate my period. It's such a hassle. You know, like everything our body does is like trying to ruin our lives or it's betraying us. And that's the attitude we have. And so that's why when things we say things like, oh, you know, we're afraid to let ourselves go. We're afraid to release control. It's because we have this picture that our body's against us when in reality, 
all along. Your body's function, first and foremost, is to keep you alive. It is on your team. It is your number one fan. You are the one who changed the goal and kind of turned on your body. But we think it's the other way around. Ironically, like often we have betrayed our own body. When I starved it, when I didn't give it food, when it was asking for food, when I barraged it with like negative thoughts and comments and, and I abused it and did all these things to it and yet it still stuck by me. Like my body did not betray me. I betrayed my body. And so that post is about letting go because, you know, I hear so many women, oh, I really want to, you know, eat intuitively or I really want to be in body, but I don't want to let myself go. And you have to ask the question, like, let yourself go of what? Of what? Because right now you are chained. You are in prison to these unrealistic ideals. You're in prison to the belief that all, like, information and, and intellect about your body needs to be given from other people and not your body. You're chained in a prison and you don't want to let yourself go. Like you really have to think about it in this way because our perspective is so flip-flop from what it, from what it should be. Yeah. Oh, it's so ingrained. And even hearing, I love like the wording of things and even hearing like you're enchained or you're um, trapped and the idea of letting yourself go, like it's literally because it, you hear letting yourself go in a diet context, tech context, and it sounds so loaded with negative connotation. But the thought of letting yourself go is inherently freeing if you think of it from this other perspective and if you hear it. Exactly. If you think of it from a perspective of my body is on my team. Of course, I want to trust it. Of course, I want to let it go. But as long as you view your body as the enemy, letting go is going to be very, very difficult. That kind of leads me to my to the other post. This was the first post of yours that I think I read or I don't know. It just stuck with me so much and I like sent it to all my friends and it was the one about being soft. And oh, oh God, I just love it so much. And I reread it this morning and because I, I talk a lot about, and on this podcast, I talk a lot about leaning into being soft in a, um, in an emotional and mind, a kind of like on a spirit, not spirit, but like in your spirit and in your mind and your emotions and like what it means to embrace the softness and not as weakness, but as like a valuable thing. Mm-hmm. And when I read your post about softness and the feminine and also like that our bodies are allowed to be soft and meant to be soft. It like it hit and healed something so deeply um, Mm. because I realized that idea of fighting the softness I've been doing for so long that we're kind of chasing this idea of hard and masculine even in everything, including our body. Right. Exactly. Well, and that this is this um, in psychology, they're called archetypes, but a lot of people refer to them as like the divine feminine or the divine masculine. But I talk about it in that post as feminine and masculine archetypes. And masculine is logic. It is cold thinking. It is calculation. It is aggression. It is, it is you know, power. And, and feminine archetypes, they're soft. They're nurturing their emotions. They are caring. They are um, going with the flow. You know, like those and those are the most those are the characteristics in this world right now that are undervalued. We live in a hard masculine driven world. When I grew up, um, I always heard 
you know, my, my guy friends in high school, they would say that all the time. Like, don't be soft. Like, don't be so soft. Like, why, why are you so soft? You know, when they were playing with, like when they were playing sports or talking and, and we, we, we live in a very hard world, which is no wonder that not only are women trying to remove the softness from like our beings, we're trying not to reveal vulnerability and emotions in the workplace because that's a weakness you know softness is a weakness but we're also obsessed with removing that softness from our bodies we're obsessed with removing any kind of jiggle any kind of role any kind of any kind of evidence of that feminine nature we're obsessed with removing to keep up with the hard world and it's just so it's heartbreaking because you look at the world right now and all i can think is this world needs more softness. Like we need more softness desperately. And the women who could bring what is so desperately needed in the world are trying to erase it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, it's just such, it feels like so much truth to hear this. And I, I remember like being a kid and, and growing up and I started becoming more like womanly and getting softer. And I was really terrified of it when I was younger because I didn't like in my rational mind understand, but I think I'm seeing now there was a deep fear of showing that vulnerability that somehow being soft and being a woman was inherently vulnerable in a way that didn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And coming to terms with that now and embracing that softness in all aspects of my life is incredibly empowering. And I so agree that it is what we need. It's completely what we need. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really important you know, point to bring up because we, when you live in a world that is dominated by hardness, like softness becomes a safety hazard because it's taken advantage of. And I don't want to under, I don't want to skip over that because in this world today, being soft is as women, like we are in a, we live in a world that values physical strength so much. And when we are overpowered, like we are made to believe that that softness needs to be eliminated for our protection. And that's what happens when there's such an imbalance of the hard and the soft the soft becomes not only demonized and weakness, but it's literally something we have to hide in order to be safe. You know, yeah. I can't think how many times, you know, I, I love lifting weights and, and I, I got into it first and foremost to protect myself because I was terrified that if I wasn't at least as strong as I could be, that I'd be taken advantage of. And I, I want to I wanna say that because I don't want to make it seem like being soft in this world is easy. There's a lot of forces against that, but it's so desperately what this world needs. That I, I – and I hadn't um, – man, I'm just like I, – I love this so much. I'm like at a loss for words because <laughs> I also feel like with men, it's – you know, we think about like men feeling like they have to hide their emotions and that they, um, they're also being denied their inherent softness and mm -hmm. it hurts them as well. And mm -hmm. I like to remember it in like an archetypal way that it's, it affects everyone and it's oh, not it just something. Yeah. Like it's, it's needed for everyone and it, it will liberate men as well as women. 
Exactly. Because everyone contains both the feminine and the masculine types. Everybody. Um, and as a world, we're, we're, it's, when I say we're favoring the masculine, it's, it's not necessarily that we're favoring the men. It's that we're favoring the hardness in everyone. And so no one is able to be soft. And so you get a lot of hurt, a lot of lashing out, a lot of violence, and a lot of aggression um, due to suffocation of emotions and processing and, and vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Um, so with that, because I kind of want to go, I think in that post, you said some things that also like opened my eyes just that I hadn't even realized that like the female body is meant to actually be softer and that the idea of what we are supposed to look like is not what health, you know, what might be healthy for our body. Um, Mm -hmm. and I kind of like to talk about that because that, um, on a very physical level and just kind of getting it in my brain switch something where I was like, Oh yeah, like, like maybe my body isn't against me. It's just literally not, that is not what it's meant to be doing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting that you brought up, you know, puberty when you, when you started going to puberty and that's where those, you know, fear thoughts came from. That's actually a very, very common story. Um, most dieting behaviors, most restrictive eating behaviors develop around puberty because it is when women start to become soft. It's when we start to develop more curves. Um, we start to storm our body fat as a protection mechanism for fertility and, and, the abhorrence to that is what causes a lot of behaviors that end up having women with hormonal issues down the line for years and years. Um, body fat is something that's demonized in today's culture, but it's actually very, very, very critical for women's health. Um, estrogen is produced in body fat, and having sufficient body fat levels is not only important, but necessary for conceiving a child. And as a woman, like this is this is what we kind of tend to forget, you know. Our biology is fundamentally so different than a male's, and so just as a side note, I get, you know when so many people out there are listening to health information and this diet and that diet and this fasting habit or whatever, and it's so many men who are predominantly like dominating the health and wellness field, saying, "Oh, like this has worked for me," blah blah, and we get all these women following the advice of these men, and then developing all these issues. Like, like why is why is intermittent fasting not working for me or why is this not working for me and, I, and it's like the, the studies that have been showing that this is beneficial are mostly done on men like this is a real thing in, in, the, in the scientific literature world and it's so frustrating because we are the minority that's left out of all this and we are trying to chase after a body that's really not designed or healthy for us um, so being soft having sufficient body that you know relaxing into that softness not only important for your mental health but it's actually physically necessary for your hormonal health and your health as a woman yeah when I first read that on your page and like then I went and I stalked your entire website and like read every article um (laughs) (laughs) I that was liberating to just know because it's true that like the feeling of chasing this thing we can't obtain it felt like there was more there of why it feels so hard to obtain it. Like, why do we have to push ourselves so hard to get there? And it was like this freeing moment of we're not designed to. Like, that's just yeah. not our, yeah. Exactly. And 
And, you know, when you look historically, like it's ironic because right now we we're stuck in the now, but historically speaking, um, being thin and, and fatless as a, as a woman was not the trend ever, like evolutionarily speaking, historically speaking, until the last 100 years. Um, and so that is when we see such a downturn in a lot of women's health and a lot of issues can like containing fertility and hormone imbalances and a lot of things, you know, that was, that's a very new development. And we have to remember that, 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 that this is not something that women are designed to or have thrived on. Like this is a massive crisis for not only women's health, women's lives right now is the obsession with shrinking our bodies. Yeah. And it is such an obsession. It takes up all the space mm-hmm. for basically anything else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I, I love this so much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I also, so just, I know we talked about like embodiment and intuitive, um, getting intuitively in touch with your body a little bit and you gave some really good advice for that. And I was just wondering if there was anything else as far as like intuitively eating or intuitively moving um, if you have any advice for how you can get more in touch with that and how you can actually begin to trust what your body is saying. Yeah. So this is, this is an awesome question. So there's a few things. Um, number one, I would highly, highly recommend anyone that's interested in that to read the book Intuitive Eating. Um, and it goes through emotion, science. It really kind of walks you through it. And I just, it's so helpful for so many women that are kind of starting this path. Um, number two is to really detox your surroundings. So unfollow anyone on your feed that makes you think you're supposed to look or be or act differently, or that is making you feel terrible or that when you're scrolling or when you're reading and you know, you get that pit in the middle of your stomach, that comparison feeling really rid yourself of all of as many as possible. Those external voices that tell you that you're not good enough, that you can't trust yourself. You have to manipulate your body. Um, it's really difficult to hear your body's voice when there's so many other ones swirling in your mind. Um, so that's super, super, Um, And then third would be on a very basic level, listen and spend time, like spend time stimulating um, body confidence. So what I mean when I say that is spend time breathing deeply, feeling your body, spend time doing relaxing yoga where you're really breathing through your body, spend time meditating, spend time processing, journaling, spend time cultivating internal and internal relationship with your body because right now so many people are ignoring their in they're, they're they're ignoring like that internal voice in favor of external voices this diet book this health influencer that's telling them what to eat and how to live and how to exercise this meal plan this that this that um i want you to move as much as possible from that and really cultivate the former Having a relationship with your body and being embodied is not something that happens overnight. It is like any relationship. You have to build the trust and you have to build – you have to get to know, you to get you to know yourself. Um, so in so many words, get to know yourself. Get to know your body. Get to know yourself. Get to know your emotions. Get to know your mind. and Give yourself the freedom, whatever that looks like, to do it. 
those are wonderful, wonderful tips. I think, um, when it comes to like the clearing out your, uh, mental space, I don't know why I didn't think you'd say that, but I think that is so right on because I was just thinking about how on Instagram, I, uh, I try not to look at like anything fitness, right. You know, cause it, it's kind of just triggering for comparison and my, my feet is mainly horses anyway, but, um, <laughs> but it's funny because the more I've like really, like I, I was following some yoga things, you know, like some yoga accounts that did like trigger those little moments of comparison. And so I've been like kind of no holds barred, like unfollowing and just kind of, uh, you know, trying to clear it out. And it's interesting that the more I also follow people that really inspire me and have, uh, that give me more like of a real sense of like being okay with your body and those kind of accounts. And I think I found your account and a few other accounts. It's funny that in my like suggested page or, you know, whatever the search page is, it's coming up with like all these fitness accounts now where it didn't used to. And I think it's so, it feels almost like it's battling back. And I know that it, it might not be, but it, but it kind of feels that way that I'm like, this is very odd that it's like trying to bombard me. And it makes me really aware of how that instantly changes my feeling about myself. Just even looking at that page mm-hmm. and yeah. getting that, like trying to have it projected at me. Yeah, I, I make a joke all the time on my stories. The Discover page is like, just don't go to it. <laughs> because yeah. there's something about it, like, like even just accidentally going on it, and all of a sudden it's like you feel that that gut sinking because you you have it's not, it's things that you haven't controlled because your news feed, like as much as possible, I recommend controlling your media. When you go to that Discover page, they're throwing suggestions at you, and you're just bombarded by images and comparison. And and not only do I do I think it's helpful to unfollow anyone who is making you feel not good enough and that depends on the person you know so it's gonna look different for everyone but also including a wide variety of bodies in your feed so oftentimes it's the lack it's the lack of representation that we see in media that causes us to feel so terrible because we see one kind of body that's glorified and we don't see bodies of different shapes or sizes or with rolls or with cellulite doing things that we like like I remember following all these yoga accounts and they all seem to have the same body. They all seem to look exactly the same. And it wasn't until I discovered other like women in larger size body, African-Americans, Hispanics, like women that are not advertised as quote unquote yoga bodies. I started filling my feed with them doing yoga where it was like, Oh, I see a woman who looks like me doing something that I want to do. That's freeing to me. I don't feel like I have to be someone else to do this kind of exercise or to live this certain life. You know, it's not only thin women who are, oh, I lost weight and look, I'm happy. It's like no women of all shapes and sizes doing all of these things, accomplishing and and being amazing partakers of society and and, and kicking ass, you know, and and it has nothing to do with what their body looks like. Yes. I I was actually just talking to a friend about this, about how important it is and how you have to really like actively – change your own media to include variety, um, of people and how much better that feels because you kind of have to do it for yourself. You know, you have to like, Mm -hmm. um, put that in there. And I've noticed that the more I do that, the more my 
I can like almost feel my idea of beauty changing and mm. like cleansing itself almost in a way that I didn't realize I had this like really toxic feeling around beauty because all of a sudden beauty isn't just a body and it isn't just one look. It's also, I think seeing more people and different types of people allow me to see that the beauty wasn't even in their appearance to begin with. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's like to get all, you know, science that's, that's what we call neuroplasticity. And that's why stimulus and, and the media you surround yourself with is so important because the pathways that have told you that, you know, this certain body is beautiful and, and dimple free and body is beautiful and all of these, all of this beliefs that we have in our brain, they can change. They were just, you had so much stimulus telling you that for so long that that's the belief that's been routed in your brain. And in order to make a new route, in order to change that, you have to surround yourself with different images, with different beliefs, with things that are not those lies. And and you'll be surprised at how your brain starts to kind of rewire. And all of a sudden, like I look at different bodies now and, and the way I feel about them is so different than I would have, you know, three, five years ago. Uh, I, Jess, yes, I feel like, I feel that I like you getting sciencey about it too, because I, um, I, I feel that happening. And I think knowing that that is something that like, there's an actual explanation of how that happens mm-hmm. and, um, that our brains are capable of that gives me even more like hope, I guess, in some way to keep going down that route. And to keep finding healing because that feels like a very also like tangible thing to do and to be able to um, help myself in that way and rewire like these beliefs that are talking about my worth as a woman and also um, telling me how I should be and and how I see the world. Because also it's really like I'd noticed that, you know, the more these issues were coming up for me, the more critical my or the, the more, it's not critical, but it's, it's like the less enchanting the world was because the world is coming through these lens now of, um, not being enough and seeing everyone else from that place is so much harder and so much less enchanting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It, well, We've been fed such lies about, you know, the fantasy of life when you get to that quote-unquote destination of being good enough. Your life is all of a sudden going to look like a princess movie or a romance movie, and, and it's all enchanting. And it's like that because that's what consumerism is based on. Like, that's how they sell you products. That's how they sell you the lie. And when you're disenchanted, it's it, it can almost feel sobering. Like, you have to let go of a lot of, like, almost childhood um ambitions or obsessions like there are there are shows I watch now or romantic movies I watch now with a completely different mindset like I no longer get enchanted by it and ooh and awe about it I'm like wow that's kind of that's not real life that's not true um and that is freeing that really is freeing because I no longer I no longer long for another life yeah yeah I like could I listen to your stories I want to fangirl for a second. I like I love your passion for this and your your um 
it, it feels like hearing truth. Like I feel like coming to your account and coming to what you have to say is like a huge part of the healing of like making new, uh, is it neuro pathways? Like, mm-hmm. um, because it feels like getting a hit of truth or something like mm-hmm. in this really, uh, really healing way that like whenever I am feeling particularly like low if that comes up around myself or low worth um I I kind of go to your page and actually that brings me to the question of when people are feeling like kind of in the grips of it what do you recommend people do then like what as the that feeling you know we want to feel the feeling that comes in and the feeling is maybe a sadness of being unworthy like our thoughts are saying we're unworthy and it's making us feel sad do you have any recommendations for what to do in those moments? Yeah. So number one, first, like number one, I would say, you know, let the feeling be there. Like feel, you can feel sad and and you can feel down. You know, I've, I've had bad, you know, body image days. I've had bad work image days. I've had days where I didn't feel enough. We, that is a part of the process. Like those will not just disappear. Um, But the journey comes in disassociating that truth in the moment from this is the, this is the truth. So that can be your truth in that moment. And that might be what you believe in that second. But knowing that that is not the truth that runs your life is so important because then you can feel that and you can let it, you can release it because emotions, you know, they need to be felt and released and not let it be your identity and not let it spiral and not let it get you down for days or, you know, weeks on end or not let it define you. When I have days when I feel like I'm failing at work or I'm lost or this and that, like I often cry cause I cry all the time. <laughs> I cry and I, and I talk about it and I journal and, you know, I express it in some way and I remind myself and, or I have loved ones in my life that remind me, which you can have people do this or you can do it yourself. Both are awesome choices. That though that feels so real, it is not the truth. And that's so important because oftentimes when we feel certain things, we get so stuck that that is the truth and that is the reality of the situation and that that's just not the case. Um, and so when you have days when you don't feel worthy and you, and you don't feel good enough, like that's okay the last thing you need in that moment is shame for feeling the way that you feel, which so often happens. Women are like, I want to love my body and I want to be embodied. And then they have one bad body image moment. And then they're like, how could you feel this way? I thought we were over this. I thought we were better than this. No, that's the last Brene Brown has a wonderful quote. She said, the last thing we need, um, in a moment of shame or the last thing we need in a moment of sorrow is shame for being human. And that's, perfectly sums up like there is no judgment on what you feel what you feel is what you feel just know and have someone there to remind you or write it down or have this unshakable truth that you go back to that though you may feel that way that is not the truth oh yes thank you thank you thank you for all of that (laughs) and also renee brown i like people who listen to the podcast know i'm like obsessed (laughs) yeah I love her. Oh, she's the best. Her and like Liz Gilbert. I know they're like the the duo that like 
people love, but they love them for a reason. I like. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yep. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so, so much for being on. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and, um, yeah, it just, your work is so important and, um, I feel like you're the unbreaker of humans, like I said. And, uh, yeah, if people want to find you and people want to see what you're doing and connect and work with you even, where can they do that? Yes. Um, so you can find me at Holy Healed on Instagram, whole, like a whole pie, Holy Healed or holyhealed.com. Wonderful. And all of that will be in the description. Um, Thank you so much for having me. This was like, unlike any other podcast I've been on, it was so awesome. Thank you for having me, Mosey. Oh, great. I'm I'm so thrilled you were here. (laughs) So there we have it, the first episode of Unbreaking Human series. (laughs) I got to think of some kind of catchy title for that. I will, I will think of a catchy title. Um, but anyway, I hope you guys liked it again. Thank you so, so much for listening. I can't even express how much it means to me that you guys listen and, uh, and come here each week and, and yeah, share this time with me. It's, it's like an honor that I haven't felt before and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm so grateful to Jess and everyone I've had on the podcast, everyone sharing this experience with me just Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you feel like subscribing or writing a review on iTunes, that is always amazing and totally makes my day and helps the podcast out. And the comments you write and the reviews that have been left and people tagging me on Instagram, it just, it brightens my week so much. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, yeah, I will see you guys all next week with a brand new episode. 